Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 884. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we um, thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture. Oh, Lord, I ask that you would teach us how to trust in you, even though uh, we are uh, people who are living, but one day will die. Help us to learn to die well, trusting in our Lord Jesus as we consider this passage together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, thinking of, of Pam, thinking of her husband, Bob, um, you know, I, before the COVID outbreak, I counted how many funerals I had conducted at Westminster. It stunned me to learn that I had uh, conducted over 70 funerals as my time as pastor here in this church. And we could add uh, the time after uh, as I've conducted some since then. And I make uh, mention of this to make two comments. First of all, it should be a reminder uh, to us that all of us who are sitting here this morning will die one day unless the Lord Jesus should return first. So you need to be prepared to die. You're not guaranteed to live the rest of this day, much less the rest of 2022. My second comment is this. This congregation has faced death well. I have been with many in this congregation who have faced their final hours here on this earth, and their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ was unwavering. And I think the previous generation was blessed to have Jack Graham as their pastor. I think I got to know Jack a bit, and uh, he could talk about the reality of death as easily as one might be talking about uh, the score of a football game. And uh, he talked about death often, pointing everyone to the loving care of their sovereign God. This morning, we are going to be talking about death and how to be prepared to face this inevitable reality. 
Jesus made the thief on the cross a promise in verse 43. And so Jeff just read it. I think it bears reading again. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So as we unpack this promise, I hope that we will learn from this passage of Scripture or what we learn from this passage of Scripture, will help prepare us to face death with unwavering faith, that we would die well as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we're going to see in this uh, promise is its nearness. We see it in the word today. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Before the end of that day, Christ's promise to that thief was fulfilled. Jesus died before him, so in the, the moment that the, um, that the thief died, he joined the Lord Jesus in paradise. In no uncertain terms, when we die, we go to paradise immediately. When we close our eyes in death, as I have said many times, we open them in that very same moment in God's presence. There's no period of time where our soul sleeps in the grave, as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. You know how they get around this very clear promise here in verse 43? They translate Jesus' words to say, I am telling you today comma, that you will be with, in paradise with me at a later time. That's how they get around this verse. Um, I wish I had time to explain how childish a translation of the Greek that this really is. It's a dishonest and deceiving translation. Of course the thief knew that Jesus was telling him here today. The Roman Catholic Church also falls into a uh, related error when they teach that the soul must go into purgatory to purge remaining minor sins or venial sins, I guess is the term that they use. It's a place of continuing punishment. Purgatory is a place of continuing punishment to make the person fit for heaven. To help a person who has died move more quickly through, per, to, through purgatory, the Roman Catholic Church um, tells loved ones to pray for the souls of the dead. The Bible does not teach us to pray for the dead, nor does it teach us about the concept of purgatory. Now, best as I could tell from my research, the Catholic position on Luke twenty-three forty-three is that time is reckoned differently in heaven than on earth. So it's irrelevant that Jesus told this thief, today uh, you'll be with me in paradise. Now I know we have many former Catholics in the congregation. I'd be interested um, to, to learn if there's a better way or better answer uh, than that than I, that I found. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 teaches that for Christians, when we are away from the body, we are at home with the Lord. So there is no mysterious delay between our death and our being present with the Lord. 
no delay at all. The moment a believer dies, his or, or her soul is in the state of perfect happiness and safekeeping in paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As Christians, we need not fear death. Death is not the end of our life. Rather, it's just the opposite. Death is only the end of the beginning. It is simply a transition into something better. Robert Rayburn was the uh, former president of uh, Covenant Theological Seminary and also Covenant College. And when, his, when he died, his son, who was also a pastor, preached his funeral sermon, and the title of his sermon was Death, the Christian's Greatest Means of Grace. And that's how we as Christians should view death, because we as Christians will be per- perfected in righteousness in a moment. For the rest of eternity, we will no longer struggle in the ongoing fight against the, the sins that are continually pestering us. We, know, we will know what it means to be wholly God-centered. There will be no more weakness in our love for the Lord Jesus, no more unfaithfulness, no more self-centeredness, no more impurity for eternity future. Instead of striking terror, death, even though it's an enemy, is like a butler that ushers us into the presence of Jesus. Hugh McHale was a, um, one of our Scottish uh, forerunners in the Presbyterian faith. He was a Presbyterian minister, lived in Scotland uh, in the late 1600s. And he, uh, in his preaching, preached that Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. But the Church of England said that uh, King Charles and then after him, uh, or King Charles II after him, James II, who were the uh, kings of England, that they were the head of the church. And because he was disputing that, they hotly persecuted the uh, Scottish Covenanters. They called it the killing time uh, because... They publicly executed the pastors and uh, and uh, Presbyterians that were worshiping out in the fields, out in the woods, up in the, the hills. They would capture them and in many cases would publicly execute them. Hugh McHale was captured and publicly executed. And as he climbed the steps of the scaffold to die, he declared, I care no more to go up these steps than if I were going to my father's home. Step by step, he called aloud, every step is a degree nearer to heaven. Death need not be a terror for us. We are safely in Jesus and he will take us into his presence. This is a promise here in verse 43. Not only for that thief, but for all who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learn from Christ's use of the word today that Christ went immediately into paradise when he died. His soul did not go into hell for three days, nor 
did, it re- did his soul rest with him in the grave? Uh, the Apostles' Creed, of course, says that he descended into hell. This simply means that his body went into the grave. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says that when Christ died, his soul went to paradise where he sat down at the right hand of God, signifying that his work of earning, purchasing our salvation was completed. Our Lord purchased our complete salvation while he was still on the cross. That's why he said, as it neared the time for him to die, it is finished. He didn't say it's nearly complete. I still got to go to hell for three days and and purge away some sins uh, for you people. No. He said, it is finished. What happened at that moment? The temple veil, um, 30 feet high, uh, tore from the top to the bottom, signifying that God's people have the way into God's holy presence because Jesus Christ entered into the Holy of Holies. By his death, his blood covered over our sins. He accomplished our salvation on the cross. And so, um, he didn't have to go to hell to do something extra. Nothing more was needed. He told that thief on the cross, Today you will be in paradise with me. Because he was in paradise. His soul went to paradise immediately upon him breathing his last on the cross. We've seen the nearness of the promise by noting that the thief and Jesus went immediately to paradise. Now I want us to consider the glory of the promise that Jesus made to this uh, thief and through him to us. The, the glory of the promise can be seen, first of all, in our sinfulness. We are just like that criminal on the cross. Our deeds do deserve to be justly punished. So look at verses 39 through 41. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, I'm sorry, Luke here in our passage only gives us half the story of this uh, thief on the cross In Mark's gospel, we learn that both of them, when they were first nailed to the cross, they were both reviling Jesus. They were both hurling curses at him. It's it's really remarkable when you think about it, uh, that these two men with limited oxygen in their lungs, remember how they... They had their their feet nailed to the cross. In order for them to get enough air in their lungs, they had to push up on those nails to expand their chest to get enough air. And their limited supply of air that they have in their lungs, they're using to curse the Lord Jesus Christ. But something happened to one of these criminals on the cross. 
The one we meet here in Luke, something changed. It may have been that he heard Jesus forgive those Roman soldiers as they nailed him to the tree. Maybe uh, it was that he saw Jesus' dignity and holiness as the religious leaders were standing at the, the, the foot of the cross, hurling insults at him. Whatever convinced him, his view of Jesus was turned completely upside down. He suddenly realized that Jesus was the Messiah, so he requested Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. It's, it's quite remarkable to see this. Um, God had regenerated this man while he was on the cross. He was born again. I love how Ralph Dell Davis puts it. As he's, uh, Davis is, is wondering, how did this man come to recognize that Jesus is the king? Because he said, please remember me when you come into to your kingdom. And so here's what Ralph Dell Davis says. He says, here is one who believes in a kingdom he cannot see, in a king wearing a crown of thorns, whose throne is a cross, whose robe is nakedness, whose glory is a body shredded by Roman whips, whose court consists of caustic blasphemers, and whose enemies had apparently conquered him. Davis says, such a faith must be a miracle worked by God. And surely it is so. We are equally unworthy of Christ's salvation. All our deeds, all our sins deserve to be hotly punished. We all deserve punishment for offending a holy and infinitely righteous God. In short, we deserve damnation. If I may be a little graphic, if someone rushed into this room or a group of people rushed into this room with fillet knives and filleted the skin off of our bodies and then threw us into a big pool of vinegar, we'd be getting off lucky for what we deserve. Because we deserve an eternity of damnation. Yet Christ promises us. Here in verse 43, he promises us paradise. Our salvation is undeserved mercy. So the glory of the promise can be seen first in the fact that we don't deserve it. Secondly, the glory of the promise can be seen by the fact that we will be in paradise. Charles Spurgeon said that the thief had breakfast with the devil, he had lunch with Jesus on the cross, and he supped with Christ in paradise that evening. Have you ever imagined what it would be like to eat at the wedding feast of the Lamb? To walk on the streets of gold? To see loved ones who have passed on ahead of you? Or to ask Gabriel, what did you mean in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27? Those of you who are in Sunday school will understand. Or 
what it will mean to never, ever, ever, ever sin again. Truly, it is a paradise. Our life here on earth pales in comparison to what awaits us in paradise. Nothing that we can get here on earth can compare to what awaits us. As Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Thirdly, we will be with Christ. That's the third glory here. Again, verse 43. Truly I say to you, you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the most glorious aspect of the promise because we will be able to see and worship the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. We'll be able to do so with souls that are made perfect so that we won't have the, the human weakness that we have when we come to worship we'll be able to really worship him as our souls yearn to worship him and as he deserves to be worshipped. Can you imagine seeing Christ, the creator of the universe, and the redeemer of your soul, and being able to worship him unhindered? The Apostle Paul wanted to be with Jesus So he struggled with impatience, having to wait to depart this life. I assume you're familiar with Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul longed for heaven because he longed for more closeness with Jesus Christ. While we are here on this earth, the things of this world tend to tug on us in the opposite direction of Jesus Christ. The world's mindset about death subtly covers our uh, colors, our own view of death, and so uh, our tendency is to try and ignore death, out of sight, out of mind, some pleasant to think about. But I want to encourage you this morning, cultivate your walk uh, and your life with Christ every day. Yearn for Him so that you will be better prepared uh, to face your own death with unfavoring, unwavering faith and with an impatient desire to see Jesus Christ face to face. I'll conclude with uh, reminding you of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Spiritually speaking, you've already been raised up with him. The moment you were born again. So if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just to illustrate, um, if this is you, you have been placed into Jesus Christ. Because he is raised from the dead, there is no way that you will not be raised from the dead. Your eternal life, if you are in Jesus Christ, is certain because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that good news? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this glorious promise. That the very day, even the very moment that we close our eyes in death, we open them in your presence. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that the things of this earth that tend to weigh us down, keep our feet, um, and even uh, worse, our thoughts and our desires here on earth, would be loosened because we love you and are pursuing you so that death will be um, a natural, even a desired outcome because we love you so much. We ask in your name, amen.